a young pastor by the name of Timothy who is pastoring in a city of Ephesus that is corrupt with idol worship. There is compromise among preachers. There is coldness in the churches. And you have this one solid man of God that Paul has placed in charge and pastoring this church that he's helped start. Now, y'all know I'm not going to take time to remind you who is all in this church. I mean, it's a great church. And watch what the Bible said in 1 Timothy in chapter number 5 and verse 21. I charge thee before God and the Lord Jesus Christ and the elect angels that thou observe these things without preferring one before another, doing nothing by partiality. Verse 22, lay hands suddenly on no man, neither be partaker of other men's sins. I want all my young people to listen to me. Just because somebody else is doing it don't mean you do it. Everybody say amen. Keep thyself pure. Drink no longer water, verse 23, but use a little wine for thy stomach's sake and thine often infirmities. Some men's sins are open beforehand, going before the judgment, and some men they follow after. Don't have the mentality that why can this person get away with this and I can't get away with it. Nobody's getting away with nothing. It ain't up to us to keep the record book. Somebody else is keeping the record book. You'd be a whole lot happier focusing on your service to God. Everybody ought to say amen. amen. Verse 25. Likewise, also the good works of some are manifest beforehand, and they that otherwise cannot be hid. Let's pray. Father, we plead the blood over this service this morning. I pray you give us liberty to say everything that you want us to say this morning. I pray everybody would leave out of here changed and and maybe in deeper knowledge, but Lord, forever and eternally changed, having become better and closer through the word of God being preached. Lord, I thank you for calling us, for the calling not according to our words, but according to your grace. Before the world ever was, you knew we'd be standing right here behind this pulpit and everybody that's here in this service would be here. I thank you for the atmosphere of worship. Hallelujah. Uh, where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. And I pray for a sinner that might have walked down the aisle, have liberty to get born again. And for some saint that's struggling, weak and weary, I pray you'd encourage them this morning. I pray we'd all leave out of here stepping higher, le having left our load at the altar. I give all our problems and cares to you. I pray, Lord, we trust you with the day we trusted you with our life in the past when we got saved. And Lord, we trust you today and we trust you with our future. Help us to put our trust in you deeper than we've ever had before. In Jesus' name, we'll thank you. We're going to give you glory for all that you do. Hide, behind, hide me behind the cross and hit me to preach in the power of the Holy Ghost for your glory with unction from heaven in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. <clears throat> My text verse today is verse 23. Let's read it again. Drink no longer water, but use a little wine for thy stomach's sake and thine often infirmities. Never heard anybody deal with this text and preach on it. I haven't. But I want to preach today with the Lord being my helper on words of wisdom for the weak, for the weary, and for the wounded. This man is weak in his body, Timothy. He is weary from the pressures of compromise and coldness and corruption. He needs a word of wisdom. And the man of God, Paul, has been inspired by the Holy Ghost to pin down the words that's not just going to help this young pastor at Ephesus, but it's going to help everybody that would ever read it because the Bible says heaven and earth going to pass away, but my words will never pass away. When the heavens are rolled up like a scroll, there'll still be a copy of the Word of God. Amen. This verse that I'm dealing with today, drink no longer water, but use a little wine uh, for, thy oftens, uh, for thy stomach's sake and thine often infirmities, most of the time is skipped over. This verse seems to be totally random. 
it looks like this verse is just placed in there, but I believe it's in the context of what I've just read to you in the scriptures from verse 21 through verse number 25. The thought Paul and the Holy Ghost has given us today is what we as child, uh, children of God, men and women, need in dealing with our personal self and how we serve him sufficiently. I want to serve God with everything that I have. If I gave the devil 100%, I want to give God 200%. Would y'all agree with that? I believe if you shouted at the bar, you ought to shout 10 times as loud. I believe if you ever run a football, you ought to run one for Jesus. Somebody say amen. I believe if you ever got excited about anything, you ought to be excited about being saved. And the word of God. Now, he said in verse 22, let's set the context. In verse 22, he's dealing with keeping ourselves pure morally. He said, don't get caught up just because sister so-and-so or, or your friend down at the high school or down at the job is doing sin. It looks like they're going to get away with it, but don't worry. Some men sin are judged now, some are judged later. Some good is judged now and blessed now, and some is going to be blessed later. But God's keeping a record. You just make sure you as a pastor, we as a people, keep ourselves pure morally. We've been brought uh, from darkness. We've been brought from death. We've been brought from the disease of sin. We've been bit. By, by, by the serpent of sin and we're all doomed to die in judgment except we look to the cross and got saved. Amen. Jesus said as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the son of man believe. Ain't you glad he was lifted up so we could get lifted out? Amen. Only, now, now, now only God can do this change. Miss Connie testified about it. As a 12-year-old girl, she, as a 12-year-old boy, I shook a preacher's hand. I, if I had liberty, I'd tell you his name was Jack. But anyway, I shook a preacher's hand. If I had liberty, I'd tell you it was Green Creek First Baptist. But I went down there and shook that preacher's hand, and i never forget Jack Weaver saying, I just want this young boy to come to join the church. He never asked me if I got saved, never seen nobody pray. I mean, I just shook his hand and I thought that was it. That's all there was to it. But many people are living with a profession who's never had a confession. And if you've never been, hey man, you might have religion, but if you don't have a relationship, you're out of the wedlock. The bridegroom is, hey man, you're not a bride that is part of the bridegroom's family. You're out of the family. You need to get born again. Amen. Nature forms us. God chose nature to form us. Sin deforms us. Schools can inform us. Prison can reform us. But only Jesus can transform us. Would y'all say amen right there? Amen. It takes Christ to have a personal relationship. And when you get saved, it is good works that don't get you saved. But it's good works that follow good grace because you're saved. I'm glad I'm saved. We are manifesting to the world a transformed life. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. All things have passed away. All things have become new. We've been born again. We have a new heart, a new desire. God's truly changed us. He's transformed us. So Paul said, hey, listen, in the midst of corruption and compromise and coldness, don't let other people affect how you live for God or how much in the world you, you want or desire. Make sure you keep yourself pure, keep yourself morally. But then in verse 23, and we'll get back here in a minute, he's talking about keep yourself healthy physically. Not just morally, but healthy physically. It is a duty, I believe, it is a duty of Christians to use whatever means necessary to take care and restore the state of your health. It is the proper, it is, it is not the intoxicating portion of wine that Paul is telling him. Paul is given a prescription, and we'll get back to it in a minute. I feel like Paul, probably in his concert with Luke, has got a prescription that he's passing on, Luke the physician. He's passing on a, a remedy. He's not passing on something that you can just get drunk 
No, matter of fact, he's specific. He says to use a little wine. He didn't say use it morally. It's okay morally. He said it's okay medically. Are y'all listening to the preacher? Now make sure you listen good because some of y'all are going to say, well, the preacher says it's okay to drink. Now, just hold on a minute. Now, Bible says, he tells us the proper way to use wine, medicinal, as a medicine. What, what's really interesting is it is a lesson of temperance that most people don't even see. See, every, every drunk on the street knows that Jesus turned water to wine. I've had every drunk I've ever witnessed to say, well, it's okay because Jesus turned water into wine. I tell them, if you go down over yonder, dig down through the sand, get some of that that Jesus turned into wine, you'd be all right to drink all you wanted to. Amen. But that's not the lesson. The lesson in the text is not saying to drink a lot of wine, to drink it casually, to drink it socially. It is a lesson of temperance. Notice the words, little wine for your stomach and for thine infirmities. We'll get back here in a minute. So in the context, the context, though it looks random, it's in order. Verse 22, he's talking about keeping yourself pure morally. And verse 23, he's talking about keeping yourself healthy physically. And in verse 24 and 25, he's talking about keeping yourself vigilant and alert mentally. Live your life. Don't worry about what other people looks like they're getting away with, what good you're doing. It don't look like it's no blessing to you. There's no benefit. Why am I doing right when it just don't seem to pay off? Don't worry. Payday someday. Amen. God always takes care of his children. Would everybody say amen? He's going to take care of you. So you keep yourself vigilant, keep yourself alert mentally. In light of judgment here and in light of judgment there. Some beforehand, some follow afterward. So he's saying, he said, he said in the context of the scripture, he said, Timothy, in the midst, hey, church folks in the midst of corruption and compromise and coldness, in the midst of people getting carried away with everything and wind and doctrine, you make sure you keep yourself pure morally. You make sure you keep yourself healthy physically. And by the way, I believe it is God's gave us this temple. God wants us to keep ourselves as, amen, as healthy physically so that we can serve God in whatever capacity God's called us to serve. Would you all agree with that? So he wants us to stay alert and vigilant and, and make sure we stay alert morally, physically, and mentally or emotionally. God said, I want you to make sure you're a servant who's ready for service. Now, you're going to be wounded, you're going to get weary, and, and you're going to look at the wicked. But I've got some words of wisdom for you, Paul, uh, inspired by the Holy Ghost. I want you to make sure you follow these steps and do it without partiality. Do it without saying, well, I'm preferring this one above that one. Make sure you get them all on the same level without partiality. Make sure morally, physically, and mentally you keep yourself ready for serving God. Is everybody with me? Now let's go back to our text in verse number 23. What is the Lord through Paul given as a prescription, as a reminder of what is often being prescribed at times in our life. Now, we're going to see it. We're going to see it here in just a little bit. God gives us a prescription that we don't understand. Looking at this verse, it's almost, I can't understand it at first. I, I've tried to pastor for going on 26 years and never dealt with this verse. As far as I know, I've been to camp meetings all over the country, and I've never heard this verse dealt with. And I don't think it's because I'm smarter than anybody else. I just think it just happened to be where God gave me this text. Because sometimes, sometimes, we look at a text and we say, man, that looks out of place. That looks random. That look like that don't apply. I, I can't even understand that. Well, I think it's to help us to understand. We may not always understand the prescription that our heavenly physician gives us, but if we'll take the medicine correctly, we'll be affected and helped physically, morally. Are y'all with me today? Spiritually and mentally. Are y'all with me? I think Paul has talked with Luke. Maybe the Lord has just divinely gave him this this remedy that's going to help him. 
And very, very well he could have talked to Luke. Here, here's, here's what one Baptist preacher said named John Gill. He's the only Baptist that wrote a whole commentary on the whole Bible. Spurgeon read after John Gill. He pastored the church at Spurgeon pastored after John Gill pastored. And here's what John Gill said. It's not as though that there's a danger of Timothy becoming a drunk. It, it's, it's for the sake of everybody who would hear this letter and read it afterward that he made sure he said, use a little for your stomach and a little for thine infirmities. Are y'all with me? I think it's to prevent, John Gill said it's to prevent profane people from perverting the scripture. The advice to use wine was not for pleasure or the satisfying of the flesh. It was for health's sake. He said for your stomach's sake to help you digest it. For thine infirmities. The word infirmity means weakness. Um, weakness that he endured because of the pressures of study, the, the preaching of the word, uh, the pains and labors that he endured due to the gospel, the infirmities. Here's what Albert Barnes said. He said a very moderate use. He wasn't to drink it freely. It was a lesson of temperance. It was to use not wine as an intoxicating drink. That's been forbidden in the Mosaic law for those who minister for God. It is, it is an exhortation to use for medical purposes. Now y'all stay with me. You say, preacher, what does this have to do with us? In Isaiah 65 and verse number 8, here's what the Bible says. Thus saith the Lord, as the new wine is found in the cluster, and one saith, destroy it not, for a blessing is in it. God said, the wine in the cluster, there's a blessing in it. He said, so will I do for my service. Now here, here's the lesson in Isaiah. Isaiah saying, look, I'm not, God is not going to destroy a whole nation when it looks like there's no goody in the vine. He said, there's going to be a little cluster with just a little bit of sap. And for that small remnant's sake, I won't destroy everybody. Now, we think about America, and we think that about the guy who thinks he's in the Waffle House. And, and, and we think, man, God's judgment is on us. I can't figure out why. Hey, look, God's not going to let nothing happen to America just for the remnant's sake. There's a little bit of folks who believe right. Would y'all agree with that? Now, God says in Isaiah, there's a blessing in it. In Proverbs 20, verse number one, here's what the Bible says. Make sure you listen. It's wrong to be a to be a sap drunk. Now, what do I mean by that? What I mean by that is to get so intoxicated you don't remember what happened the night before. Here's what the Bible said in Proverbs 21. Wine's a marker, strong drink is raging, whosoever is deceived thereby is not wise. Ephesians 5.18 says, be not drunk, intoxicated, altered in your mental state with wine, the caveat to that, the opposite of that, is to be filled with the Holy Ghost. Brother Scott mentioned out there, we come here to the church to get drunk. We're drinking from a spout where the glory runs out. We're getting drunk on the Holy Ghost. Is everybody with me? All right. Isaiah 28, 7 says, They have erred through wine. Their strong drink are, all, are, are out of the way. Because of strong drink, drink, they're out of the way. The priest and the prophet have erred through their strong drink. They are swallowed up of wine, of wine. They are out of the way through strong drink. They err in their vision and they stumble in judgment. So we know according to the Bible, God doesn't want us to be a bunch of drunks. Would y'all agree with that? Now, now here some people will say, well, preacher, well, here's what Proverbs 23 says. All these verses in Proverbs 23 is dealing with recreational purposes. Who hath woe, who hath sorrow, who hath contentions, who hath babbling, who hath wounds without cause, who hath redness of the eyes, they that tarry, watch this, long at the wine. They that seek mixed wine. The Bible even says, don't look at it. Look not thou upon the wine when it's red, when it giveth this color of the cup. It bites like a serpent. It stings like an adder. It'll make you want a strange woman. Amen. Make your heart utter perverse things. In other words, you, amen. God help. Y'all know, some of y'all act like you ain't never drunk nothing before. Y'all know exactly what I'm talking about. I, I already get some more amens than this. Here's what, here's what he said. 
You'll be like somebody who lies down in the midst of the sea on the top of the mast who's tossed around with all the waves. And you'll say, I won't never do it again. They have stricken me. You'll say, a whole crowd beat me up. I don't know how I got in this bad shape. Shalt thou say, I was not sick. They beat me, I felt it not. When shall I wait? You think that man's never going to do it again. And yet Proverbs says, that man will say, when shall I wake? I'm going to seek it yet again. Habakkuk 2.15 says, Woe to him that giveth his neighbor drink, that putteth the bottle to him, that makes him drunken also. So wait a minute. 1 Timothy 3.3 tells, tells us that preachers, pastors, bishops, overseers should not be given to wine, intoxicated with wine, drunken with wine, quarrelsome over wine. So how is it that God has told Paul to tell a young pastor to use a little wine for thy stomach's sake and for thine often infirmities? And according to Luke chapter 10 and verse number 34, y'all remember the story of the Good Samaritan. Jesus is the Good Samaritan. He gets off of his ass, goes over to the man who's been stripped and naked and, and the thieves have left him half dead. You remember what the Bible says? He poured in wine and oil. The wine was used to disinfect. It was used as medical purposes to disinfect. Paul said it's helped you to digest food. It's got red wine has literally got enzymes to promote metabolism and to help your body digest food. But he said don't get drunk with it. He don't say don't, don't, don't put it in the mouth of your, of your, of your neighbors. Don't, don't even look at it to gaze on it to live your life for it. He said look I've got a prescription for you and use it for your stomach because you need to be healthy physically. So it carries the idea, this new wine carries the idea of a slight fermentation. Here's what Proverbs 31.6 says. We're told in Proverbs 31.6, here's what the Bible says, Give strong drink unto him that is ready to perish, and wine unto those that be of heavy hearts. He said, Preacher, what are you saying? When Miss Angie Linder was dying, and she was struggling for breath to breathe, they gave her morphine, which was a prescription, Adderall, I can't even remember all of it, Oxycontin, all these different things. Was Miss Angie Linder a druggie? No, she wasn't a druggie. She had a prescription that was specific for the target, the areas of her life to help her cope with whatever she was going through to be able to get what breath, or, so is everybody with me? She had a prescription that a doctor gave her. Now, if the doctor gave her a prescription and it didn't work right, they changed the dosage. If the doctor gave her a prescription and it reacted to her body, they'd take her off of it and try a new prescription. Good news, nobody's ever went to the heavenly doctor and had to change anything but themselves. Somebody ought to say amen. You've never left his office and felt worse than when you got there. Amen. He always knows exactly what we need. Are you all with me today? So it looks odd. It looks random. It looks like this thing is out of place. But I'll tell you one thing we can learn just from the surface. Timothy was a sickly man. He was a man who had sick problems. He had infirmities. He had weaknesses in his body. He had physical. He had emotional. He had, he had all this stuff facing him. And yet he never used it as an excuse not to pastor a church. In other words, you know what that's telling me, Brother Jamie? We ain't none of us in here got an excuse. God's going to give us a prescription to face every, and we don't understand it at all times. But you don't have to worry about it. It's not the dosage that's the problem. It might be making sure you're taking the right medicines. Are y'all listening to this preacher? Now, I'm, I'm dealt with the text contextually. Let me see how it applies to us. Here's what I believe in our text. This thing looks random. It sticks out like a sore thumb. Why would this be in here when he's talking about don't look at other men, don't be a drunk like other men, don't, don't be over there just doing what you want to do. Keep yourself pure morally. Keep yourself sharp and vigilant and, sharp and with the view of judgment in the future and the view of judgment and blessings here. He said make sure you keep yourself sharp mentally. Make sure you keep yourself sharp physically. Make sure you keep yourself sharp morally keep yourself as a good steward and ready for service and sometimes 
God prescribes things in our life that we think is random. We think, why are we having the faces and we're trying to do what's good and this other crowd seems to do what's wrong and they seem to get away with it. I can't get away with it. Don't you remember the context? Some men's... They have to face now their sin. Some men have to face later their sin. Some men are blessed for their good things now. Some men are going to be blessed for their good things there. But one way or the other, God's keeping a record. You've got one person, thyself, that you've got to keep pure. Thyself, that you have to keep right mentally. Thyself, that you need to keep ready physically. And all God's people, are we on the same page? Now here, here, here's what I believe. Sometimes God gives us a prescription that we don't understand. We can't figure it out. I never knew that, that when Paul told Timothy that there was digestive enzymes in one glass at a supper meal that would help him. I, 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 didn't, I didn't realize that's what he was saying. I was trying to figure out, well, I know it's in the cluster and so both Matthew, Henry, Albert Barnes, and John Gill, and all these other men, they'll, they'll try to deal with it, but they won't, they won't bump it much. But here, here's what they did say. They did say this. They said it was because it helped circulation in your body. It helped digestion in your body. It relieved anxiety in his mind through the infirmities. It helped him understand the weaknesses that he is facing. So for those who are around wickedness, who are weak or weary and need some words, of wisdom take the prescription that the heavenly physician gives when you don't understand it when you think it's random when nobody else understands they're going to try to use your situation to let them live their life wickedly you've got one person to think about and that's yourself in other words police yourself you're not the Lord's policeman amen I've often said as a pastor in the church Hey, it ain't your job as members of the church to worry what everybody else is doing. If your name ain't pastor or master, it ain't your job. If your name ain't Shane and Jesus, you need to police yourself. And all God's people says. Paul said, Timothy, I got a word of encouragement for you. I want you to keep yourself sharp. See, sometimes he gives us, God prescribes, y'all with me? Number one, God prescribes weakness. God literally prescribes weakness. I don't make no sense, preacher. Well, here's what the book says. In weakness, his strength is made perfect. Sometimes God's got to prescribe weakness. It seems random. Why are we suffering? Why do we have weak things? Why is this stuff going on in my life? You remember Paul? He had a thorn in his flesh. It was something, it was an infirmity. It was a weakness. He felt like that prevented him from serving God. And God was saying, no, I'm using your weakness to show you that my grace is sufficient. He prayed about it three times. And the Lord said every time, my grace is sufficient. I don't know what pressures. I don't know what pains. I don't know what physical, emotional, or random things that are happening in your life. But I tell you, God does and if he allows it to happen in your life it might be a prescription you don't need to change the dosage you don't need to tell the doctor in heaven what to do just understand what he prescribes for my life that I need to get in line with would y'all say amen his strength is greater than any weapon any warfare any wickedness any weakness that we might face we have to be weak in our situation before God takes over. Are y'all with me? Number two. God sometimes prescribes darkness. It don't make sense for a preacher. I don't understand why I've got to go through these dark times. I can't even find God in the midst of all this mess. Well, just, just so you know, just so you know, I, I believe I'm right in this. If we go back to Calvary in the book of Matthew, in the book of Luke, and in the book of John, I believe we'll be reminded that there was three hours of darkness that he endured on the cross. Would y'all agree with that? Three hours of darkness that he had to endure. That's when God was making his soul an offering for sin. His body had to suffer, and then his soul, and God hung a, a sheet up, <laughs> 
amen, of darkness that nobody could see that transaction where he said, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? So he became sin for us who knew no sin so that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. For him to be made sin, he had to, his soul had to become an offering. He had to become our propitiation. He had to become our pinch hitter. He had to stand in our place. All of hell, all of hell rained on him. All the fury of heaven rained on him. The law was satisfied. Amen. Justice was poured out so mercy could be extended to us. Jesus endured darkness. He understands darkness. He understands darkness. Listen, here's what Proverbs, or here's what Psalm 23, the Lord, David knew what darkness was. He experienced it. And David said, yea, not just in death, but yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I shall fear no evil. Why? Because thank God there's a shadow. It ain't utter darkness. Jesus endured utter darkness. I don't believe, a sh- I don't believe there was a, the moon. The moon didn't shine. The sun was put out. It wasn't no eclipse because it's three hours. I don't believe there's a star in the sky. I don't believe a dog barked. I don't believe a bird chirped. I don't believe a cat meowed. I mean, it was utter darkness. The creator was dying for creation. Are y'all listening to this? I'm talking about Jesus became every time you ever took God's name in vain, every adulterous act, every wicked thought, every sin of every man from beginning to end, he became that. He who was who knew no sin became that. So we could, he knew darkness, real darkness, separation from light. Brother, we don't really know darkness because even in our darkness, there's a light with us. Through the valley of the shadow of death, I shall fear no evil. Hey, we're encouraged, yea, though I walk. Walking means a continual forward motion. There's no delay, there's no detour, there's no staying, there's no sitting. He's moving us through the valleys and the hard times of our life, and he'll never leave us nor forsake us. Are y'all listening to this, preacher? He knew darkness. Sometimes God prescribes darkness in your life. The worst thing you can do is get to the place you don't trust God. Think about the thief on the right side. Amen. He recognized him in his kingship. He talked about his kingdom. He recognized him in his sonship. He recognized him and had fellowship. Amen. He made one prayer of of faith and he got, thank God, pardoned and forgiven. Amen. And when the lights went out, the thief on the right side never doubted in the dark what he heard Jesus say in the light because he had his flesh nailed to the cross. And if you'll keep your flesh nailed to the cross in times of darkness, you won't doubt in the dark times what he spoke to you in the light. I feel like running right there. Amen. Now we say, well, preacher, wait a minute. What about Job? Job. He said, I looked on the left hand, couldn't find him, right hand, looked before him, looked behind him. He said, I can't see God nowhere. He's in such a dark time in his life, but was God not with Job the whole time? He is with him the whole time. Jeremiah says, if you'll seek him early, you shall find him. Amen. I know. Hey, we don't understand it. It seems random. It don't make any sense. People's getting away with sin. My blessings, my doing good don't seem to be paying off. And what in the world's going on? Be vigilant. Be vigilant mentally. Be vigilant physically. Be vigilant morally. Keep yourself pure. Because the truth is, sometimes God prescribes something that it don't even make sense. We can't even figure it out. He may prescribe darkness in your life. I don't understand why God does, but I do know this. In the dark times, that old boy on the right side, had, had some, he had some hope. He had some hope the lights was going to come back on. He had some hope in what the Lord said. He said, he said I've got forgiveness. I'm in the family. And he promised me a future. Because he said today thou 
shall be with me in paradise. I've got fellowship with him forever. We've got hope, Brother Linder, in the midst of our darkness. You got hope when you need to be redeemed. First Peter chapter 1, verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of the Lord Jesus Christ, who, have bled, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again into a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. You had hope that brings anticipation. We're looking for the future. We're looking for his coming. Titus 2, 13, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious spring of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. We've got hope of a home. He said, don't let your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me and my Father's house are many mansions. And if it were not so, I would have told you, go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I'll come again and receive you to myself that where I am, there you shall be also. Hey, there's hope in the midst of your darkness. Just trust the Lord. Well, preacher, maybe I need to get the doses different. No, he knows exactly what you need. He knows how long you need to take it. But I'm going to tell you, if you'll take them what he's prescribed for your life, it'll change you for time and eternity. It'll help your life. You see, we got hope. I'm glad we've got hope. Amen. You said, preacher, I don't know. And I, I just don't know. Listen, Paul, he had this in his heart. He said, we have a building of God not made with hands. Abraham says, I'm looking for a city whose builder and maker is God. Hey, that's a good place to look forward to. Thank God. We've, we've, got a, we've got a haven of rest right here in the local Baptist church. Thank God. We've got a home in heaven on the other side. Thank God. That's a reality. It's not the yellow brick road leading to a man behind a curtain who's faking that he's God. That's the Wizard of Oz. Quit watching that and read your Bible. There's a real God and a real golden street. Somebody say amen. In that place, there's no more seat. There's no more pain. There's no more sin. There's no more separation. There's no more, hey man, sorry flesh and sickly flesh. There's no, hey man, I'm about to shout on that. No more cemeteries. No more Satan. No more sad faces. No more sad times. Great God, it's a place of no mores. Hey man, what a place that's going to be. Sometimes God prescribes darkness. Sometimes he prescribes loneliness. Jesus was forsaken by the Father. He said, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? But Jesus said, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. He, got, he was forsaken, so we'd never be forsaken. Are y'all listening to this preacher? It feels like sometimes no one cares. It feels like because I'm weary, because I'm wounded, because I'm like Timothy in the midst of corruption and compromise and coldness, Man, it feels like I'm here by myself. Is that not what Elijah told the Lord? He said, I'm the only one. The Lord said, I still got a bunch that never bowed to me. Amen. You might feel alone. You might feel lonely. You might get depressed. You might get discouraged. Hey, remember Elijah? He wanted to kill himself. He wanted to die. You may get to that place and your Christian won't. Can I just remind you? Take the prescription. God may have prescribed loneliness so you can help somebody else down the road who is lonely. He may have prescribed darkness so you can help somebody else. It was just a few years ago when Brother Linder lost his daughter and, and Brother Linder was able to help maybe a year later someone who lost their daughter. It was, it was not, it, you don't know what you're going through and right now that's going to help your family, help your church, help your friends, help, but God prescribes it, and if you'll take it, and take it with the right attitude, amen, and take it with the right action, knowing that God has got your best interest in mind, the prescription's always going to be good. I'm not saying it's going to taste good. I'm not going to say you're going to love it and say sign me up for some more of it, but God knows what we need, and he prescribes what we need, maybe through a man of God, maybe through studying the scripture, maybe through prayer. God knows exactly what you need. Would y'all agree with that? I can say this. He He'll never leave me nor forsake me. I know this. He is my helper. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 13, verse number 6, The Lord is my helper, and I shall not fear what man shall do to me. He's help when I'm lonely. He's help when I'm sinful. He's help, his help is continuous. Amen. Hallelujah. I, has anybody in here ever been helped to the Lord? Has anybody ever got any help from the Lord? Have you got help this week? Won't he help you, Brother Scott? I mean, if he ain't going to help you, then I'd just go ahead and quit. But won't he help you? Yes, he'll help you. Hadn't he helped you? You think he wouldn't help you now? The Lord's my helper. 
He's a very present help in time of need. He helps when nobody don't help. He's there when nobody's not there. He listens and he cares when nobody don't care. And nobody wants to even listen. I'm glad he's there. Amen. His help is continuous. That's, that's why we can come boldly to the throne of grace to find mercy and, and, and to, to get mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Would y'all say amen? You remember that Syrophoenician woman in the book of Matthew in chapter 15? She said, she said, I need you to help my daughter. When she got down to business with God, you know what she said? Help me. I'm the one that's in a mess. Help me. You know what she found out, Brother Scott? She came to where she needed to come. Hey, man, she got the help she needed. I say hallelujah. She cried, help me and God help. You know what the psalmist said? You know what the psalmist says? What I pray when I don't know what else to pray and I know I'm in a mess. You know what the psalmist said? Help. Help, Lord, for the godly man ceases and the faithful fail from among the children of men. If the faithful who are more faithful than I feel I am fail, I know I'm liable to fall. So help, Lord. I don't know if you've ever been so desperate you cried help. Anybody in here ever cried help? You may not want to lift your hand. But I can promise you this, he'll help you. When you don't even know what to pray but help, he'll help you. Sometimes he'll prescribe loneliness. Nobody wants to be lonely. I mean, Brother Linder told my brother Doug, he said, man, there's going to be days you're going to wake up and you're going to be lonely. I remember the day after I asked Brother Linder, he said, man, you get used to a routine, didn't you, Brother Linder? And you get up the next morning and she ain't there and you're not doing everything that you used to do. Man, I get to thinking about, man, loneliness struck in on me yesterday. I know he's in Texas. That ain't helping me in North Carolina, South Carolina. I know he's down there, but man, I get to thinking how lonely. But the Lord said, hey, nobody's experienced loneliness. As I've, I've experienced it. Everybody left me. John took Mary to the house, and there wasn't nobody at the cross. And then because of your sin, Shane Jackson, I was forsaken from the Father. I was as lonely as a lonely person can be. So I understand your loneliness. Man, I'm so glad he prescribes sometimes loneliness. So we'll get healthy and get better for God. We'll get better mentally. We'll get better morally. We'll get better spiritually. We'll get better emotionally. Sometimes he prescribes stillness. You say, preacher, wait just a minute. When they were down at the Red Sea, Egypt behind them, Pharaoh's army, Red Sea in front of them. What did he say? Be still and know that I'm God. The hardest thing for us to do is to be still and wait on God to do something. We, especially men, we always got to be fixing some or doing some. That's the hardest thing. Man, in my life, anything goes on in my wife's life, she probably gets irritated at me. Well, after 30-something years, I guess she just got over it. But I want to fix it. I'd rather suffer for it. I'd rather face the problem. I don't want her to have to face it. Well, don't you think we got a groom in heaven that cares more about us than I could possibly even imagine caring for Michelle? And if I love her that much and I do, I'm willing to face every battle, face every fight, don't you know he's wanting to and willing to? And all we got to do is turn it over to him, Brother Jamie. But we walk around like we've been popping our suspenders. We got a few victories under our belt. We don't need nobody's help. Oh, my God. Sometimes God says, you just need to be still and watch me. You need to be still and listen to me. You need to be still and know. You say, preacher, what about, hey, what about Daniel in the lion den? What about Daniel in the den of lions? What about him, Brother Linder? He had to be still and wait till God gave them lockjaw, made one of them a pillow and the other a footrest, and the rest of them used their tails to keep the flies off. Amen. And he slept like a baby. <laughs> Amen. Hallelujah. I don't know what they, they might have roared amazing grace while he sung the tune. But the three Hebrew children, they had to stand their ground. They didn't bend by our budge, and they also didn't burn. And they had to be still and trust God no matter what. God was able to, God, they got through in the fire. And the only thing that burnt was what held them down, what tied them up. And Jesus showed up in the fire. Before he ever showed up in Bethlehem, he showed up for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, or Hananel, Meshach, and Nazariah. He showed up when they needed him. See, sometimes you, you don't even look for God. You don't, even, you don't even stop long enough to be still long enough to listen to God. And so God has to prescribe stillness. In Psalms 27, hey, we're told God prescribes stillness so we can learn patience. We always got to be doing stuff. 
Man, it's the hardest thing in the world, hey man, to wait on the Lord. Y'all know I'm right. Here's what he does. He, he, sometimes he prescribes closeness. You remember what he to, told us in the book of James? Draw nigh to God. What, what does he say? And he'll draw nigh to you. If we were to demonstrate this, but Canaan, help me out. Go over yonder at, at that wall. Draw nigh to God. And he'll draw nigh to you. Canaan, walk about halfway down through here. All right, stop. Look at all these people. That's between me and Canaan. Look at all the problems that everybody in here has that's prob- that we don't even know about that's between me and Canaan. Look at all the space and the place that's between me and Canaan. But Canaan, I'm going to take a big step. You take your regular step, all right? I want you to draw nigh. I'm drawing. Draw nigh to me, Canaan. Close, come close to me. Just keep coming. All you do is draw nigh to me. He'll draw nigh to you. Draw nigh to me, and he'll draw nigh to you. I made up a whole lot more space than he did. But I serve a God who's got one foot on the Mount of Olives and another on the other mountain they split. I serve a God who holds the waters in the palm of his hand. You don't think he can, every Atlantic Ocean, every river, every stream's in the hollow part of his hand. There ain't no new water he's recycled before there ever was a recycling. God knows, amen, everything that's going on in our lives. I promise you he prescribes closeness because he don't want people. He he don't want problems. He don't want nothing coming between you and his fellowship and relationship and all God's people. Did you know that uh, sometimes we just need to be hugged up with Jesus? Have, have, have you ever thought about what it must have been like for John to lay his head on the Lord's breast? Y'all have heard me say it. It ain't no wonder he said, I'm the disciple whom Jesus loved. He said it all the time. We all know God's not in partiality. He's no respecter of person. But why? Why did John know it? Because he loved on him enough to know that he loved him. The reason you think the Lord don't love on you is you ain't been loving on him. Somebody ought to say amen right there. Preach on, preacher. Preach on, preacher. Thank you. Amen. I appreciate that. Y'all know I'm right. John was loving on him. He spent his whole life loving on the Lord. He knew the Lord loved him. You know what the problem is? They say this about a hug. Frequent hugging. Michelle, frequent hugging. I ain't got to tell you this one. Frequent hugging and holding hands lowers your blood pressure. Good God Almighty. I'll just run one for that. <laughs> hey, man, I'm going to have low blood pressure going home. <laughs> Woo! I wish Brother Larry Ranger. I'm going to tell him when he comes next time. Did you know hugging and holding hands not only lowers your blood pressure, it reduces your risk of a heart attack, scientifically proven. We're so far from God, we can't even get a hug. It is less likely to have a stroke and a heart attack if you hug your spouse all the time. Mm. Man, I'm going to print this out. And put it in a frame. So preacher, prove it. University of North Carolina conducted a study with 59 women and found this truth. I say, Amen. We got a Tar Heel fan right here. In other words, getting close, giving your heart to somebody, get, come coming close to him, giving your heart to him, letting him love on you. Letting him t- getting all the people and all the problems and all the place, all the space. I'm a firm believer, man, that a husband and wife that don't never hold hands and don't never hug, their relationship is not where it needs to be. Preacher, we don't believe in PDA. Well, that's your problem. I do. But here's what I do know. Somebody around you ought to know that you love that person. Somebody ought to say amen. And I'll tell you why some people say they don't worship because they don't think that's not necessary. They want to show their outward expression of love. Well, I'm glad he don't have a problem showing me his outward expression of love. And maybe you ain't been forgiven much. I know what the book says. If you've been forgiven much, you'll love much. Somebody say amen. You won't worry what nobody else says. You'll bust your out of box. You'll get in his feet. You'll let your hair down. You'll get with it too. If you know where she is brought from, I know where I was brought from, Brother Jay. 
Amen. Draw nigh to God during hard times. He's going to help you. He'll help you be the working saint, the witnessing saint, the willing saint, the worshiping saint. He'll help you be the servant of God that you need to be. You see, if we draw on out of God, we'll draw on out of the scriptures. We'll feel the working of the spirit. We'll feel the witness of the saints. We'll feel the, hey man, the worship of the sovereign. We'll walk with the Savior. We'll be willing to use the weapons of the sword of our warfare to work for the glory of God and do something for his glory. I believe we'll draw on out of God. We'll have compassion for lost. We'll have compassion for the lonely. We have concern for them who's lingering out further and further from the shepherd. Why don't we just turn to Jesus? I don't know why we don't turn to Jesus. Miss Becky, if you don't mind coming, just get ready to play if you don't mind. I don't know why we don't turn to Jesus, but here's what I want to tell you. Why don't we come to Jesus? Why don't we draw nigh to God? Say, preacher, you don't understand the prescription that's been written for me. I don't. But I know he knows the right dosage, the right time, how many times you need to take it, how, how many of these you need to experience. And he don't need to change nothing. We're the one that needs to change. Maybe we need to search our heart to see if we're in the right attitude, taking the right action. Why not come to Jesus, Brother Scott? His shelves are full. He's got storehouses you ain't even tapped into. His, his storehouse is faithful. His scriptures are factual. His sacrifice is final. And most importantly, the Savior will never forsake us. Why would you not draw nigh to God? Why wouldn't you draw nigh to the one that came into this world so you could have a relationship with him? I don't understand that. Maybe it's pride. Maybe it's your problems. Maybe you're letting people Maybe whatever is going on. But I know this. If you'll get all the stuff out of the way and make one step in his direction, he's going to make a big step in your direction. That's all you got to do. Sometimes God prescribes what seems to be random. What others ain't going to understand. What, what we're, others are going to be looking at saying, well, hold on a minute. That just, well... God's not going to let darkness overtake us, but he'll prescribe darkness. He's not going to let loneliness, he'll never leave us nor forsake us, but he'll let us experience loneliness. We, we may not understand why it seems like we're in the world with God out, but God sometimes will have to prescribe closeness for us to get closer to him. I don't know what's going on in your life, but I do know this. Whatever it is, He's the wonder of wonders, and he can help you today. Let's all stand, heads bowed, and eyes closed.